What makes this city so important? Well, if you do a Google search on the history of Jerusalem, you will see the following mentioned on the Wikipedia page. Mentions during its long history, Jerusalem has been attacked 52 times, captured and recaptured 44 times, besieged 23 times, and destroyed twice. The oldest part of the city was settled in the fourth millennium BC, making Jerusalem one of the oldest cities in the world. And with how many times Jerusalem has been attacked, captured, besieged, and even destroyed twice, we see that it is still there today, compared to other places like Babylon, which was, when it was destroyed, it has never come back, even though with the help of Saddam Hussein, he tried to rebuild it, but it was not rebuilt. Now we do need to take information found on the Wikipedia with a very grain of salt, as it is open source. However, it is interesting to note the constant conflict in Jerusalem's history. But as we read, as we read in the title of this lecture, we will be looking at Jerusalem as the epicenter of a future world conflict. And by the looks of their history, it sounds like that this has been this future world conflict for years. One thing that makes this extra interesting is the meaning of the name Jerusalem. Jerusalem means city of peace or foundation of peace. And definitely it's not a city of peace at this time and appears far from it. But God does have a plan and purpose for this city which is situated in the middle of Israel. Even with all its current and future conflict, God promises that peace will follow. Now here's the agenda that we're going to look at, look at following this evening. First of all, we're gonna look at how the Jews return to the land of Philistine. Why does it seem that God is working with this city? Conflict is still on the horizon. And God, does God have a greater plan of purpose for Jerusalem than the, world, than the conflict itself? Now first, I'm going to look at how the Jews returned to the land of Philistine. Now why am I mentioning the land of Philistine when we're talking about Israel? Well, previously to 1948, the state of Israel was a Palestinian land, as you can see from the first picture. And this is a biblical lecture, so let's open our Bibles and we'll turn to Luke 21. All this stems back to the destruction of Jerusalem, which was foreseen by Jesus Christ in Luke 21. Starting at verse 20. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that, des that desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter thereinto. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. 
But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And it was AD 70 that the Jews were scattered. But if we turn back to the Old Testament, we read in the prophecy of Jeremiah about the future restoration of Israel and that God will not forsake his people. Looking at, Jer- at Jeremiah 30, starting at the beginning of the chapter. The word that came to Jeremiah from Yahweh saying, Thus speaketh Yahweh God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judea, saith Yahweh. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And these are the words that Yahweh spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith Yahweh, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hand on his loins, as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith Yahweh of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve Yahweh their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith Yahweh, neither be dismayed, O Israel. For lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from thy land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith Yahweh, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations, whether I have scattered, scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. So as we see from the next picture on the screen, it was foreseen the Jews would go back in the land of Israel, which we see the beginning of that in 1947 with the UN plan. Then a year later, we read the following news headline on Sunday, May 16, 1948. State of Israel is born. The first independent Jewish state in 19 centuries was born in Tel Aviv as the British mandate over Palestine came to an end at midnight on Friday. And it was immediately subjected to the test of fire as Menenat Yeriel, State of Israel was proclaimed. The battle for Jerusalem raged, and with most of the city falling to the Jews. And this will be followed with the War of Independence from May 15th to June 10th, 1948, showing the conflict was far from over. And seeing from the map, you see the series of attacks over this four-week period. So coming to 1949 to 1967, you would see that Israel was gaining more land. 
in the news article stating that the war ends, total Israel victory, and that was almost 20 years later, from June 5th to 11th of 1967, which would be the Six-Day War, resulting in Israel capturing the West Bank, including East Jerusalem. As you see the series of events over the past 75 years, you see that Israel has become mainly their state and not the Palestines. But 50 years after the Six Day War, the following happened on December 6, 2017, as reported in the New York Times by Mark Landler, which is most recent, which it read, President Trump on Wednesday formally recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, reversing nearly seven decades of American foreign policy and setting in motion a plan to move the United States Embassy from Tel Aviv to the fiercely contested Holy City. Today we finally acknowledge the obvious that Jerusalem is Israel's capital. Mr. Trump said from the diplomatic reception room of the White House, this is nothing more or less than a recognition of reality. It is also the right thing to do. It is something that has to be done. The president cast his decision as a break with decades of failed policy on Jerusalem, which the United States, along with virtually every other nation in the world, has declined to recognize as this capital since Israel's founding in 1948. That policy, he said, brought us no closer to the lasting peace agreement between Israel and the Palestinians. It would be folly to assume that repeating the exact same formula would now produce a different or better result, Mr. Trump declared. Recognizing, he added, was a long overdue step to advance the peace process. So not only did President Trump recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital, but he recognized the following that even though they were no, close, no closer to a lasting peace agreement, it was a long overdue step to advance the peace process. And even most recently on February 5th, 2021, published this, this was published in the Middle East Eye. In the first paragraph you read, the US Senate voted almost anonymously to favor of keeping the US Embassy in Jerusalem, affirming a Trump era move that neither party had any plans to reverse. And then near the bottom, it shows Biden's support U.S. President Joe Biden has repeatedly said that his administration has no inclination to move the U.S. Embassy out of Jerusalem or to re re revoke the U.S. recognition for the contested capital. And there was even a quote from Senator Jim Inhofe. It is an important message that we acknowledge Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. So as you can see, Jerusalem continues to stay in the center of attention. And one thing I did notice, I, I saw this uh, clover leaf map um, when I was doing actually a, a recent uh, online tour of Jerusalem. And they showed this that shows that Jerusalem is right in the center of the three continents of Europe, Asia, and Africa. And we'll see a little later the significance of this. Now we're gonna to move to the second part of our agenda. Why does it seem that God is working with city? What does the Bible have to say? 
As we saw earlier, not only were we told the Jews would be scattered from the land of Israel, but that God would be bringing them back. But why is that? Why does it seem that God is working with this city, Jerusalem? Well, it says the following in Psalms 132, starting at verse 13. For Yahweh hath chosen Zion, he hath declared it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. And you can see on the map there, Mount Zion, just to, just to the east, as part of Jerusalem. And turning over to the prophecy of Isaiah, we read in Isaiah 28, starting at verse, at verse 16. Therefore thus saith the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. And again, where is Zion? Well, Mount Zion is in the center of Jerusalem. And just just, like I said, right by that Highway 60, that yellow line. God has also founded Zion, like it said in Isaiah 28. And earlier in Isaiah, we see a question that is answered immediately. If we turn back to Isaiah 14 and verse 32, where it reads, What shall one then answer the messengers of the nation? That Yahweh hath founded Zion, and the poor of his people shall trust in it. Again, God has founded Zion. And also looking at the New Testament, Hebrews 12, verse 22, it reads, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Zion is in the city of the living God, and that's Jerusalem. And what does he say after he says he's chosen Zion? He has desired it for its habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, and for I have desired it. Usually things that are mentioned more than once to put an extra emphasis on it. The strong concordance is used to show what certain words mean. And this word desire in the Hebrew means to wish for, to covet, to greatly desire, to be desirous, long and lust after. This desire of God's is a great desire. It's a lust. And this is God's rest forever. And he will dwell there. And again, not only has God chosen Zion, he said that he would dwell there, but also remember what we read in Isaiah 28, that he lays Zion for a foundation so, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. This foundation is strong. It's never to be moved. Jesus mentions the following in Luke 20, in verse 17. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builder rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. And Jesus, he was quoting back to the Psalms. He was showing that he understood and knew his scriptures. And it said in Psalm 118, verse 22, The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. And with all the conflict going on in Jerusalem, with all the rejection, 
there is comfort knowing that Zion has that foundation. The same can be said of Jesus himself. Looking at Ephesians 2, starting at verse 19. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth under an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. But Jesus, being that chief cornerstone, will eventually reign in God's kingdom on that sure foundation, being Jerusalem and Mount Zion. Jesus, too, was rejected as well and crucified, but was raised to everlasting life. God has a huge desire and love for Jerusalem, which is why he's working with that city. Now we're going to be going to the third part of our agenda and looking at the conflict that is still on the horizon. And the topic of our, our lecture for tonight. But with all that has gone on in Jerusalem in their history, conflict is still on the horizon. And that brings us to our topic of the epicenter of the future world conflict. And this brings us to the reading that was read to us in Zechariah chapter 12. With Zechariah chapter 12 to 14, this is a section of scripture that is dealing with the future. When looking at these three chapters, you will notice the following, and it's good to highlight. First, the phrase, in that day, occurs 16 times, and six times alone in this chapter, chapter 12, that was read. The Lord, the name of God, Yahweh, also occurs 16 times, and it's mentioned five times in this chapter, in the first eight verses. This is a very high frequency. And also it's to note that Jerusalem is mentioned 22 times in these three chapters, nine times in chapter 12 alone, and the nations are 13 times in these three chapters, and it's mentioned once. In chapter 12, verse 9, it's very important to realize that we are looking to a day in the future, as it says, in that day. And it's three things to note when looking at this part of scripture, that God's hand, God will have a hand in all of this. Then we need to remember that, that Jerusalem is an important city. And we got to see how the nations are involved with all of this. Jerusalem is the focus or the epicenter of this future conflict. Let's turn back to Zechariah 12. And we'll start reading at verse 1. And I'll have that on the screen as well. Verse 1. The burden of the word of Yahweh for Israel, saith Yahweh, which stretcheth forth the heavens, and layeth the foundation of the earth, and formeth the spirit of a man within him. The ISV translation helps out the understanding of the beginning of this verse a little better, I think, 
where it reads a declaration, a message from Yahweh to Israel. This is God declaring a message and it's coming directly from him. Then he explains that God is all in all. He stretches out the heavens. He lays a foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man, which is the breath of life. What does that sound like? That sounds like the words from Genesis. I know a lot of our talks recently have been talking about Genesis and how important that is and so many different passages go back to Genesis. Well, those words all come from the creation way back in Genesis in chapter 2. If you could turn back to Genesis chapter 2. And looking at verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. In the day that Yahweh God made the earth and the heavens. And jumping down to verse 7. And Yahweh God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. We are being told the following message is important and will happen. Just like God created the heavens, the earth, and man. Continuing in Zechariah 12, looking at verse 2, we read, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. So it says God will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. Again, more proof that Jerusalem would be reformed after the destruction in A.D. 70 and the return of Israel as a nation back in 1948. If Jerusalem were not to be reformed, then why would it say that? God will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling or unstable, as it reads in the ISV, unto all the people or the nations surrounding them. Remember that cloverleaf map I showed you earlier, showing Jerusalem in the dead center of Europe, Asia, and Africa. Then the nations shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. Continuing Zechariah 12, verse 3. And here we look at that word, in that day, the first one. And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. This is making Jerusalem a burdensome stone or a heavy weight, as it says in the ISV. And those that are not ready, that burden themselves, will be cut in pieces or they'll be crushed. And those are the ones that aren't prepared. You need to be prepared. We all need to be prepared. And this fulfills the prophecy of Ezekiel found in Ezekiel 38, which was actually mentioned a few weeks ago by a brother, Ian. He brought up Ezekiel 38 in the first, here's the first seven verses. And the word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, O son of man, son of man set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief priest, chief prince 
of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks unto thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, and the house of Tagarma with the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. And Brother Ian mentioned that the chief prince, which also means Rosh, is Russia. Magog being Eastern Europe, Meshach being Moscow, Tubal being Tobolsky, which is also in Russia, Persia being Iran, Ethiopia being S S Sudan and Ethiopia, Libya, of course, being Libya, Gomer is France, and Togarma is Turkey and Armenia. These are all the places that are surrounding Israel and southern Jerusalem, just like it showed in the, that leaf, the clover leaf. The nations that will be gathered together against them. Looking later in Ezekiel 38, looking at verses 15 and 16. And thou shalt come from thy place out from the north parts, thou and thy many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company, and a mighty army. And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O go, before their eyes. It says here, it will bring, it will begin the north coming down, but then followed by the other nations surrounding, all the different nations of Europe and Asia and Africa. And God will be responsible. As it says, I will bring thee against my land, but this is to help the world learn to know him and show how holy he is before their eyes. Also, God is responsible for putting Jerusalem in the dead center of these nations. Looking back in Ezekiel 5, verse 5, Thus saith Lord Yahweh, This is Jerusalem. I have set it in the midst of the nations and countries that are round about her. But God won't let his people suffer forever. Let's turn back to Zechariah 12, and we're going to continue at verse 4. Again, we're going to see another of those in that day terms. In that day, saith Yahweh, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness, and I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse and the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in Yahweh of hosts, their God. So again, Jerusalem will be in the dead center of this battle and of this latest conflict happening in their city. But Yahweh will make his presence known and be a help to those that trust him and those who are prepared for battle. And remember, God won't let his people suffer forever. Remember, Back in Ezekiel 38, talking about being prepared. And also, as we read earlier about the restoration of Jerusalem, we read again, Jeremiah 30, verse 7, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. 
It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. That day will come that, that day to come will be great, unlike any other. But God promises that they will be saved. Like it mentioned back in Zechariah 12, verse 5, where it says, smiting every horse with astonishment or with panic, and blindness of the invading army, as well as riders with madness, or as it also says, insanity. We continue in Zechariah 12 with yet another few references to the term in that day. Continuing at verse 6, in that day, I will make a governors of Judah like the and hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire in a sheaf, and they shall devour all the people round about on the right hand and on the left, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. Yahweh also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall Yahweh defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God's, as the angel of Yahweh before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. So Yahweh will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He also declares that he will destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. That's how important Jerusalem is to God. Whatever the nations try to do, they will be defeated. All this needs to happen to help the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem be humbled. We read that in the final five verses of this chapter, which also continues to the first verse of chapter 13, starting at verse 10 of chapter 12. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day, there it is again, shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadadrimmon in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart and their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart and their wives apart, all the families that remain, every family apart and their wives apart. This will be a time of change. The fountain opened up to cleanse themselves from sin and uncleanness, a chance to start over. The Jews need to learn to listen to God and to get rid of their own pride. So many times did they only trust in themselves and their own might, and God had humbled them as we read back also in Jeremiah 30, verse 14. All thy lovers have forgotten thee. They seek thee not, for I have wounded thee, which the wound of, the, of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins 
were increased. It even sounds like the world today. This is a lesson that we need to learn ourselves. It is so easy for us to trust in ourselves and our own might. And there are times when we are in situations in our lives that God has had to humble us as well. He mentions over in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the el- unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God res- resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We all need to learn to be humble and be humbled ourselves. As long as we are all in these fleshly bodies, we still have a lot of work to do. And God might, may not react immediately, but through our patience, God will exalt us eventually. And the same can be said of Jerusalem. And why is that? Well, that brings us to the fourth and final subtopic in our agenda. Does God have a greater plan and purpose for Jerusalem than the conflict itself? After all this conflict, does God have a greater plan and purpose for Jerusalem? Well, let's turn back to Zechariah and we'll turn over to chapter 14. And we'll read in chapter 14 at verse 11. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. We are told of a day that there shall be no more utter destruction, and that Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. It may not look like that today with everything that's going on, but the day is coming, hopefully not so distant in the future. For we're told of Yahweh's eternal covenant with David over back in Jeremiah 33 in the Old Testament. This is the same David that we all remember that slew the giant Goliath that we learned in our Sunday school classes and actually our little young ones are learning right now in their Sunday school classes. We are told in Jeremiah 33, starting at verse 14. Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and all that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called, Yahweh our righteousness. For thus saith Yahweh, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. Neither shall the priests, the Levites, want a man before me to offer burnt offerings and to kindle meat offerings and to do sacrifice continually. This passage charged with the words, the days come. And do you notice the similar language that we read back in Zechariah 12? A promise to David that there will be a time when God will cause a branch of righteousness that will execute judgment and righteousness or justice in the land of Israel and in the city of Jerusalem. 
again, in those days, it shall be that the people of Jerusalem will dwell safely. The people will call it Yahweh, our righteousness. To get a better understanding of verses 17 and 18, we'll read again from the ISV. For this is what Yahweh said, David will never be without a man sitting on the throne of the house of Israel, nor will the Levitical priest be without a man offering up burnt offerings, bringing in grain offerings, and offer sacrifices continually before me. At this time, there will be a man sitting on the throne of David eternally, which means forever. And who will this be? Well, Jesus Christ will be that man. He's a promised king and priest. To look at, we read, if, you, if we actually look in Luke 1, we'll see how Jesus would be the promised king. Turn over to Luke 1, in verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then in Hebrews chapter 7, we read about Jesus being the eternal priest as well. Look at Hebrews 7, starting at verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord, Je our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood, and is yet far more, far more evident. For that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of the endless life. For he testified, Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Our Lord Jesus Christ will reign forever and bear the name of God. And why is that? Well, he lived a perfect life. If you look back at 1 Peter chapter 2, we read starting at verse 21. For even here in two were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed." Jesus, he was flesh just like you and I. He bore the same exact nature and was susceptible to sin, but did not sin. There is no better person to sit on that throne to represent God and declare his name. Through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we have that opportunity to have our sins forgiven through the waters of baptism and to learning to follow God's commandments. And there's other lectures we have on this platform talking about baptism. And this is why God's name will be known and placed in Jerusalem. For we are told in Jeremiah 3, verse 17, the following, At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of Yahweh, 
and all the nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of Yahweh, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. There will be a time that even the nations round about will call on the name of God and turn away from their evil ways. Whether this is your first public lecture or if you've been coming for a while, it's not too late for you to put God first in your life and recognize Jesus Christ as your Savior. But there will be a day that it will be too late, which is why you should act now, today. There is never a better time to start than now. Turning over to the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 2, we read the following regarding the last days and how it relates to this city of Jerusalem, starting at the beginning of the chapter. The words that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days, the mountain of Yahweh's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks, Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall there learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of Yahweh. These will be exciting times when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to this earth to establish God's kingdom. And you have a great opportunity to part of this great day. So in conclusion, like I said earlier, Jerusalem means city of peace, even though it's been anything but peaceful. However, there will be a day when we hope that there, in the not-so-distant future that this will finally be a city of peace. There were so many times Israel forsook God and sinned against him, and Jerusalem has gone through so much in their history. But God has chosen them to be his city, and we are fortunate to see this city around today. God, he holds Jerusalem very close in his heart and has a greater plan of purpose with it in the future. A day when his son Jesus Christ will return to this earth to rule on his throne forever in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be the epicenter of a great future world conflict. But there will be a day to come when God will purge those who rejected him and only trusted in themselves. At the same time, he will protect those who call upon his name. Jerusalem will be saved and will finally be that city of peace. And all nations will flow up to God to learn of his ways and have an opportunity at eternal life and his kingdom. In closing, let's reflect on the words found in the first eight verses of Zechariah chapter 8. And in reference to the coming peace and prosperity of Zion and Jerusalem. Starting at verse 1. 
Again, the word of Yahweh of hosts came to me, saying, Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus saith Yahweh, I am returned unto Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountains of Yahweh of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his staff in his hand for very age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, if it be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this, of this people in these days, should it also be marvelous in mine eyes, saith Yahweh of hosts. Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. Thank you.